Hi, this is Mish Hancock, and you are listening to Mishmash, a place where I get to talk to the weird, wacky, wonderful people of this world, people I adore and want to know more about. Today, my guest is Brandon Kosterison. He is a project manager for Mo Hope. Their goal is to reduce opioid overdose deaths in Missouri through expanded access to overdose education and Narcan, public awareness, assessment, and referral to treatment. That is one tall order, Brandon. It is. It Holy is. cow. And there, there's more that even goes beyond that. But that's that's a good uh, way of saying it. And really, it comes down to one thing. We're trying to save lives. Yes, exactly. And, you know, so I'm so interested in this subject. I mean, of course, I mean, our community is dealing with it. So many communities are dealing with it. But the other thing is it doesn't touch, it hasn't touched my life. Like I don't have friends, family. I don't see it where I live, but it's this huge issue, Mm -hmm. right? Where, how, what, where did this start? Oh, we need about five hours to go over this. But the first thing I want to do is say that you do know someone. You may not know that you know someone because of the incredible amounts of shame and prejudice that are associated with this issue. Just like, you know, we don't know people, you know, a lot of folks don't know someone who has an alcohol use disorder. That's true. Because we don't talk about it until someone dies or someone goes away for treatment. We don't talk about what's happening to our cousin, what's happening to our aunt, uncle, sibling, child, until it becomes too late often. So one of the things that we're working to do that's not in that, uh, not in that um, summary of efforts is that we're really working to address prejudice. And I use the word prejudice specifically because most people would use the word stigma, mm-hmm. but I don't believe that stigma exists in and of itself. Stigma is a the stigma of drug use, the stigma of substance use disorder right. is actually the result of community prejudice against people who use drugs. Interesting. And so you can't get rid of the stigma without addressing the prejudice. So I I just want to get down to that root cause and address the prejudice that makes people more willing to come out and talk about substance use disorder. Think back to the early to mid-90s. We really saw a revolution in this country about people willing to talk about mental health care, depression, bipolar disorder, those types of things. And now you see people talking about it fairly openly on social media. It's still not perfect. We still have a long way to go, but it's now discussed. We need that same type of transformational discussion to happen around drug use as happened around other mental health conditions in the 90s or in the early 2000s. So let me rephrase. I probably do know someone, but I'm I'm not aware of it. Mm-hmm. Is there are there signs like that you know how it is like you don't know unless you know the signs, right? You know, I could be I could see people be passing them by on the street or just like saying hi to someone and not realizing. Are there any signs that say this person's in trouble? You know, for substance use disorder in general, and I say substance use disorder instead of addiction, it means the same thing, but SUD is a more medicalized term. Okay. And so I I want to frame things in that context. Um, There's some things that you can look out for, especially if it's someone that you know really well. If they're suddenly not as social as they used to be, if they their performance at work or something like that starts to deteriorate um, as substance use disorders progress, especially when we're talking about opioids and heroin, it's harder and harder and harder to maintain um, what would appear to 
some folks as a you know quote unquote normal lifestyle. Right. But what we often see is that you know people that live in um, you know West County that have a half million dollar home, they have the resources to be able to sustain. They have the resources to be able to go to treatment. They have the resources to be able to continue with some. St- type of normalcy. Whereas people who live in impoverished communities don't have that same backing. They don't have access to treatment and wraparound services and the care uh, that they so desperately need. And so all of that is are things that we're working to address through the MoHo Project and a variety of other grants that the state wow. received. So what, um, I mean, so it, it looks, I and mean, there's a number of different items that I Mm -hmm. listed here, you know, the assessment and, you know, and the Narcan and, you know, talk to some of that. So the biggest thing that we're trying to do um, through this grant is increase access to naloxone or Narcan. Mm -hmm. So there was a law passed in Missouri in 2016 where anyone can go to the pharmacy and get Narcan. Uh, Narcan is an overdose reversal medication. So if, you know, we're here in South City right now, if I'm walking to my car and I see someone who's had an overdose, I can give them Narcan. It's just a nasal spray. It's really easy. And that can revive them. That can save their life. I'll be and darned. It's, it's that easy. Okay. So you and I could walk over to CVS or any pharmacy and purchase it um, without a prescription. Really? I mean, Missouri. I could just walk in you can just and walk say, in hi, and ask I would like it. to get some of this. Wow. Absolutely. Okay. And so we want people to know about that. That's because, interesting. Yeah, the U.S. Surgeon General says that every American should carry naloxone. In the St. Louis metro area, every person should have it because in our day-to-day lives, you know, where, whereas you may not know someone who directly has opioid use disorder, coming into the studio, you could come across someone. Stopping at Quick Trip, you could come across someone in the bathroom. And if you have that medication, you can save a life. It's just that so easy. So how would I know, though? How would I know that that was the issue with them? Like, so, and, and if I gave it to somebody that it wasn't the issue, it's not going to hurt them. Right. Exactly. Okay. So as part of our trainings, we teach people how to recognize an overdose. We teach people what are some signs and symptoms of an overdose. So for those that are listening, you know, if someone has pinpoint pupils, is asleep or you can't wake them up and they're not breathing well, then they're probably having an overdose and you should administer the medication. Got yeah. Um, but if you're wrong, let's say they had low blood, sh- blood sugar and passed out. If you give them Narcan, it's not going to help them, but it's also not going to hurt them. Gotcha. It just okay. Kinda, it good. That's good to know, out. though, because you'd be worried if you're like, what if this is not what it is and I could hurt them? So, okay, got you. Exactly. Very good. So, the only thing that naloxone does is remove opioids uh, from a specific receptor in the brain. So, that's everything from when I'm talking about opioids, that's everything from Percocet and Oxycontin to heroin to fentanyl to carfentanil. All of those things naloxone will work on and it'll revive the person. So I did not know opioids were all of that. Yes. It's it's a wide range of uh, drugs and medications that fall into that category. Got yeah. Oh my gosh, how interesting. So um so with with what Mo Hope is doing is so were you guys part of the whole thing of getting Narcan into all the pharmacies? Or I also read somewhere you could get it in public libraries. Maybe not here, but is that 
So there's a couple of different things that are happening. Um, so NCADA, which is the organization that I work for, mm-hmm. um, we did some advocacy along with uh, other organizations like Missouri Network for Opiate Reform and Recovery to help get the naloxone legislation passed in 2016. Okay. Um, Mohope actually didn't come into existence until September of 2016. So it came along after that law had already been passed. Got you. Um, but so that allows anyone to go to the pharmacy and purchase naloxone. You do have to pay for it. But if people have insurance, then they can typically get it for just a few bucks. If people have Missouri Medicaid, it's a $3 copay. Okay. Um, but then uh, what you referen- just referenced is that the manufacturer of Narcan, Adapt Pharma, has offered free medication for every public library in the country and every uh, boys and girls club in the country. So wow. that if someone were to have an overdose, it's not for distribution from there, but it's so that if people do have an overdose on site, then they can reverse that overdose. Got this is in addition to free Narcan that they've made available for every high school school in the country and every college and university in the country. Oh my so they're really working to get it out into some of these high utilization places. That's amazing. So we're going to take a quick break and okay. we'll be right back. Perfect. Okay, so we are back with Brandon, and we've been talking about the opioid crisis. And in the break, we were talking about the origin. Where did this all begin? A lot of this got started in the early to mid-90s when um, medications like oxycodone or oxycontin came on the market. And people started developing opioid use disorders because we have direct consumer marketing in this country. And Purdue Pharma put a lot of money into getting uh, these medications prescribed in copious amounts. We hear about teenagers who have wisdom teeth extracted and they get 30 days worth of Percocet. But the CDC says for an acute injury like that, all you need is three five days. And when you have a young developing brain getting a lot of these medications on board, it's really easy for people to develop a substance use disorder. And then up through about 2010, we saw a major increase in prescribed opioids being related to deaths. And then 2011, there was a small drop, but at that same time, heroin started coming onto the scene. Now, it used to be that heroin was coming from Afghanistan and that Golden Triangle area in Southeast Asia. But what's changed is as the U.S. has liberalized our marijuana laws, then they no longer grow marijuana in Mexico, or at least nowhere near the amounts. They tore up the marijuana fields and they started uh, growing opium because they couldn't compete with the marijuana coming out of Colorado and other places. Right. So we started seeing heroin coming onto the scene and it's a lot more pure. So people didn't even have to start by injecting. They now start by snorting. And we know that two thirds of the people who use heroin got their start with prescription drugs. Oh, Nobody just woke up one day and says, you know what, today's the day. I try heroin, right. Nobody does that. You know, can I speak to one thing? Because I think that's really important what you said about the Percocet thing. Um, my daughter had a surgery, and after the surgery, I, I don't remember what they prescribed her for pain, but I, I remember looking and thinking, that seems really mm-hmm. hefty. And I questioned it. And the nurse said, look, give her ibuprofen. If that works, that works. And that's what I did. So it's worth questioning, Absolutely. asking those questions. You're like, does my kid really need that? I mean, that's why I said, I'm like, does she really need this? And, and she was like, honey, if you give her ibuprofen, I bet you she'll be fine. I'm like, 
that's what I'm going to do. And that's what we did. Absolutely. And for long-term pain, NSAIDs like ibuprofen or you know aspirin are a lot more effective than opioids and they don't have the addiction potential. Right. And but we, you know, we made pain the fifth vital sign and so now providers have to treat pain just like they have to treat high blood pressure. And oh. that has put an economic incentive behind um, high prescribing rates. And then over the past really two or three years, we've seen a tremendous spike in fentanyl, which is a synthetic opioid that's um, primarily manufactured in China, but it's completely man-made, just like in a lab like people do with meth. So there's no grow cycles. You don't have to have a huge piece of land, but then that's being brought in and used to adulterate the heroin supply. And that's really what's killing people, especially in the St. Louis area. In the city and county last year, about 85% of over those deaths were fentanyl involved. Oh There's gosh. more fentanyl here than there is heroin. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's it's, it's scary. scary. It's terrifying. So the uh, the other subject we wanted to talk about was the harm reduction. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that a lot of people say is well if you're going to give people naloxone, they're just going to use more heroin. Or they're going to use more and they're not going to be as afraid of dying. And the evidence shows that that doesn't happen. It's just like get, making sure that someone has an EpiPen doesn't make them go eat peanut butter if they're allergic to peanut exactly. butter. Exactly, right. All, all that naloxone does is it saves lives. Um, and we've seen that over and over and over again. Um, we've seen you know hundreds of lives being saved through medication that we've distributed through the Moho Project. And we know of many, many more um, through other grants and other efforts to, to do outreach. So it's been a really phenomenal um result that we've been saving lives here in Missouri as a result of having this medication available. But there's other uh, harm reduction strategies that we also have to look at. So in Missouri, for example, syringe access programs are not legal. Now, there's several that exist across the state, but they're not technically legal. Okay. There's been legislation that's been introduced um, to allow them to exist, but it didn't pass last year. I'm willing to bet that it'll get passed this year, though. But people say, well, if you make syringes available for people um, who are using heroin, they're just going to use more. Once again, the evidence doesn't bear that out. But you know what is going to happen? People that use heroin are not going to catch hepatitis C. They're Uh, not going to catch HIV. They're not going to get staph infections from using contaminated syringes. Exactly. Lack of access to a clean syringe has never stopped someone from using. But by having these programs, making this available uh, for people... We're going to be able to save lives and, at the end of the day, saving money. You know, how much does a syringe cost between a nickel and a dime? Yeah. You know how much it costs to treat one case of hepatitis C? $85,000. Oh, my gosh. So, for the cost of preventing one case of hepatitis C, you can buy, what, 850,000 syringes? So, what is the next step? You know, so, you know, we're saving lives, but we want these people to get treatment. Absolutely. That's the end goal, right? Let's let's get you off of this stuff. What does that look like? So for a long time, Missouri was way behind in the treatment game, and we're currently playing catch up. There is another grant that uh, came from the federal government called STR. It's a state targeted response. Okay. And people can find out more about that at Missouri ST uh, Missouri Opioid STR And that's actually working to help people uh, get access to treatment. And they're paying for medications like uh, Suboxone or buprenorphine and methadone and Vivitrol or Naltrexone. And these medications work. 
these medications help people um, get into recovery and make it so that they can engage in other psychosocial treatments as well and therapy, things like that. Got so yeah. that's in the process of ramping up. It's been about a year and a half since those grants started. Um, we're seeing wait lists drop dramatically, but people are still waiting a few days to get into treatment, um, which can still be dangerous. Right. What we really need is uh, you know, an idea behind treatment on demand. But one of the reasons that we're so far behind is the Missouri General Assembly never expanded access to Medicaid, which would have been able to provide treatment for a lot of the, uh, these folks who are now receiving it years ago. But okay. because of decisions made in Jeff City, people have been waiting, people have died waiting, and people haven't been able to access the care that they need. So we need harm reduction to keep folks alive. We mm -hmm. need treatment to help folks who are ready to, to get better. And we need recovery supports because recovery community helps people stay in recovery longer. Right. It helps people thrive having in recovery. Having that support. Absolutely. Having that support, having that, you know, I've been there. I know where you are. You know, that's really where a lot of the 12-step stuff got started in building a uh, building a community dedicated to recovery and dedicated to mutual support. And, you know, a lot of that type of stuff, especially in conjunction with medication and psychosocial therapy, really, really helps. Have you seen and or do you know, like, I know that, you know, so like um, with AA, you know, that they they have the support group and, and that, I'm okay, I'm going by what you see on TV. You know, okay. it's like the person is like, you know, I, that guy got to get to my meeting. And there's always this thought that they can't, like they always want to have alcohol for the rest of their life. It plagues them or something. Um, does, is that seem to be the same for this? Is it like you got to keep the support up? Or do people just, once they go, are like, I'm done. I'm done, I'm done. I feel like a lot of people that, that, um, they're prescribed these drugs and then they get addicted. And then it wasn't like they were going to these drugs because of something else. You know, it's like they mm -hmm. were prescribed it. It was like you're in pain kind of thing. So yes and no. A lot of it depends on the individual. It's all very, very individualized. Okay. You know, I don't th I think that the TV stuff is definitely very over dramatized. Yeah, it's not I'm like sure someone is. <laughs> who is, you know, in recovery from alcohol use is just thinking about alcohol. Twenty four hours 24 a day. Hours, yeah. yeah. And I mean, as I I'm a former smoker, I haven't had nicotine in over five years. And you don't think and about I it. don't think about it every right. every moment of every day. But sometimes, you know, when folks who are in recovery from alcohol, if they get stressed, they might think Okay, I'd really a you know, drink I really would take need the edge off. Or, exactly. Yeah, that and makes so sense. And so those support groups are ha can can help people have a um, a habit of going somewhere in a healthy coping mechanism and finding that support that they need, so that they don't get to that point right. where they're saying, "Oh, God, you know, I've got to have something right now." Um, I would say media definitely does a poor job of of, of dramatizing um, what it's like to be in active use as well as what it's like to be in recovery. Right. Right. Well, thank you, Brandon. This is really awesome information. We're going to take another quick break. We'll be right back. Wonderful. Thanks. So we are back with um, Brandon, and these are just really questions that I've had that I thought, you know, I want to. I just want to know. So, if your doctor prescribes this to you, 
What do you have any advice for these people? Prescribes opioids? Yes. So CDC says that you should not take opioids for more than three to five days for an acute injury. So okay. if you break your leg or you have a tooth pulled or something like that, three to five days max. Gotcha. Um, now, for people who are undergoing con- chronic pain for, from chemotherapy or various other things, there's a role there, and we're not going to disagree that. But, you know, use as little as needed. So right. go, start low, go slow, that type of thing. Gotcha. Also, lock it up. You know, we people yes. at least should be locking up their guns, but they're not locking up their prescriptions. And these can be just as deadly, that especially with the holidays thought. coming, because you might have a family member that has an opioid use disorder that you don't know about. And if you have everybody over for Thanksgiving, how long would it take them to go through your medicine cabinet? Exactly. Not very long at all. Very and interesting. And that's 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 a good thing to know, though, the three to five days, generally speaking. Yes. You, you question it. Again, we go back exactly. to just question it. Say, is this cool? You know, is this how I, what I should be doing? So are there any myths out there that we should dispel? Yeah, so the first myth would be about fentanyl because fentanyl is what people are talking about. It's very, it's a very scary drug, but people are, are worried that if you look at it too hard that you're going to overdose, okay. and that's not true. Yeah, now, yeah. Really, only if it's ingested or if it's, you know, if you touch it and then touch your eyes or your nose or your mouth, then you're at risk for, for con, uh, contact. Okay. But being in the same room as a drug is not going to expose you and create an overdose. Gotcha. The second big myth is that people who use drugs are bad people. And right. that's absolutely not true. Exactly. 100% untrue. Many people who have a sub, well, people who have a substance use disorder just, Full, full stop. People who have a substance use disorder have a mental health condition, just like people who have depression or people who have anxiety. Right. And with proper treatment, they can get into recovery, just like maybe going to therapy and getting on medication helps with uh, with depression or other mental health conditions. But we need to provide supports and that, you know, trying to force people to rock bottom really puts people at highest risk of death. And it really boils down to one simple statement. Dead people don't get better. Right. Gosh. Whew. Um, within Missouri, like what is the most affected area right now? So we're sitting in it. The St. Louis metro really? area okay. is the most affected by far. Um, last year, about half of the deaths in the state were in St. Louis City and County. And then you start getting into Jefferson, Franklin, St. Genevieve, and uh, St. Francis County is kind of going down that I-55 corridor yeah, yeah. down toward the boot heel. The Highway Patrol says that on the east end of the state, we have a heroin problem. And on the west end of the state, we have a meth problem. Oh, wow. And that's not to say that you know there's no meth in St. Louis or heroin in Kansas right. City. But the driving factors are those across the state. So we should all go to our pharmacy mm-hmm. and get Narcan. Yes. Um, and what anything else that we should know or tell us about where to find out information about MoHope and what you know, how people can volunteer and what have you. So you can find out more information about the MoHope Project, find out about the state's Good Samaritan law, um, find out about how to get naloxone and those laws at mohopeproject.org. If people are interested in volunteering to help out with the MoHope Project or um, NCADA, they can go to ncada-stl.org. And that's really, so the bulk of NCADA's work is related to prevention. So we have people in schools, uh, 
um, every day, about two-thirds of our staff, talking to kids kindergarten through 12th grade about alcohol and other drugs, about building up resiliency skills to cut down on the number of people who will develop substance use disorders down the road. And people can also go to talkaboutitmo.org if they have kids and learn how to talk to their kids about alcohol and other drugs. As a parent, the two most intimidating conversations are talking about sex and talking about drugs. Exactly, right. And so people freeze up. They think it ends up having to be this big lecture thing, and it doesn't. No. So at talkaboutitmo.com, they can uh, pull up free age-appropriate talking guides, and it's conversation starters. You know, when you're talking to kindergartners, you're not talking to them about methamphetamine. They can't pronounce methamphetamine. (laughs) Exactly. But you're saying things like, what are some healthy things to put in your body? What are some unhealthy things? Who are some grown-ups that you can trust? How oh, do you deal with your awesome. emotions? That's so, great. You know, and when parents have these ongoing conversations, it cuts the risk of substance use disorder in half. Right. I, that is a huge thing is talking to your kids. Absolutely. And being and being and and helping them to understand you're an advocate for them. You want the best for them. You're not trying to you know, create issues, you're trying to create health and happiness for them. Exactly. And when we talk about these things, we have to talk about them in a health-oriented manner. You know, when we start, if somebody, if somebody says, oh, if you smoke marijuana once, you're going to kill the neighbor's cat, burn down the house, <laughs> and all this other type of stuff, you're lying. They know yeah, you're lying. Exactly. And they know you know you're lying. Exactly, yes. So having real conversations about real expectations and real consequences um, is, is the, the way to go about it. But, you know, demonizing people who use drugs is not the way to right. address this from a public health perspective. They're good people. They, yeah. They're they good people that need help. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Brandon, uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate I reached out to you on LinkedIn. And you were like, yeah, I'll come on your yeah, podcast. Sure, why not? So thank you so much. This has hey, been great. People can't shut me up. Well, I love, I love it, though. I think it's really important. I mean, I, I've been I've been wanting to ask and, and know because I just feel like I'm not informed enough mm-hmm. about it. And I was like, this is a huge deal. People need to know. I would have never known that I... I can just go to my pharmacy and say, I would like a prescription for Narcan. That I would means not that have I need to that. do a better job. Well, but that's what we're doing, right? We're going we're gonna exactly. to get the word out to everybody because, you know, and it's it's it got to be put into our awareness. So Absolutely. however we can get it there, let's do it, right? All right, wonderful. Thank you, Brandon, Thank so you. much I for being here it. today. And for everybody out there, please do subscribe to uh, Mishmash on iTunes and have awesome days. Thank you. Thank you.